morning and welcome to Get Up With God. It's great to see you this morning. I'm your host, Dylan Maverick. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing the slippery slope of sin. Sin can easily grab a hold of your life and take you down a place that you don't really want to go. In today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about what sin does to your life, how easily it creeps in, and what are some of the things that you can do to avoid the attempt of Satan to deter your life from the promises that God has for you. Today's going to be a great episode. Grab your Bible, even grab a notepad. You're going to take some great notes if you do take notes this morning. So I encourage you to jot some down. I've got six points for you this morning right here at 6 a.m. If you're watching live, thank you. And if you watch later in the day, as always, be sure to share this broadcast and let people know about it. So turn with me in your Bible into the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, we're going to turn into the second chapter. And that's where we're going to take this verse. Again, we're talking about the slippery slope of sin and what sin can do to easily uh, beset you in your life. Now, one of the things I want to talk about today is how in the first part of uh, the approach of sin, when things come up in your life that sin tries to do, most of the time it's not going to be something that is very evident. A lot of times when sin creeps into your life, sin approaches in a way that seems harmless. Or not even sin itself, but something that can deter you to sin. We're going to talk about that here just in a second. Um, but let's start with our foundational scripture here. Hebrews chapter 2, let's go to verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Lest or unless we drift away. And you could use that word slip in that. The word slip, S-L-I-P, begin to slip away. For if the word spoken through angels provided steadfast and every transgression and the disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So I want to talk to you about that, about the sin that can easily cause you and this slippery slope can cause you to slip away in your life. And one of the things I liked about this is that word slip in the Greek is parareo. Point number one is to take heed lest you slip slip away. Take heed lest you slip away. That Greek word for slip or to drift is perereo, which means to glide away. And it likens it to the idea of you dr- something slipping your mind. Has that ever happened to you? I'm sure it has. But something slips your mind in terms of uh, an event or something that you should do and you just forget completely about it. It's a good reason to have a calendar so you don't forget certain things, right? But in sense of in the sense of sin, uh, it becomes a slope of slipperiness that you begin to slide down without the approach of uh, or without the intent to. You don't mean to, and it comes across harmless. It comes across in a way that doesn't have a, an aggressive approach. Where you know, if if you know uh, the the idea from the first get-go was you're going to die if you do this, I mean, you'd steer away from it. But it's the idea that you nothing will go wrong with it. Nothing seems to be wrong. Nothing seems to be a problem. That's when sin really can grab a hold of you. So this idea that it slips your mind, it drifts away. You know, if you forget something or forget to do something, it, it, it's when you use that phrase, it slipped my mind. It just means you forgot. It wasn't on your mind. It wasn't top of mind awareness. Well, that's the same thing with sin 
is it begins to approach your life in a harmless in uh in, in a harmless ineffective way like it's not really going to have a big effect on you and this is how sin gets in it begins to dig its claws into you is it's an approach that doesn't seem like it's going to have any effect on you isn't it crazy that's the opposite with with faith as well faith in the beginning you making confessions and confessing God's word over your life. Uh, you beginning to believe the things that God has said to you. You begin to study the word. You begin to have faith and confidence in who God is and what he's able to do. You don't see a lot changing immediately. It's a faith journey and things begin to change. Some things, sometimes things can happen very quickly, but sometimes they don't. And, and both are true in both realms when it comes to the slippery slope of sin some things can happen dramatically and fast, you know, people that, and I'm not talking about grotesque, crazy sins, like someone being a, a, a an overdosing drug addict of, of some sort that may be, that could be a case and that could have immediate effects on somebody's life, especially with the drugs that are out today. But a lot of times it doesn't start that way. Same with faith. It doesn't start on this, you know, crazy, sporadic, intense ride. It's usually subtle. It's usually inattentive. It's usually uh, very, very low profile. It's not big on, and, and you know, it doesn't have a lot of flair to it. It just seems very simple. Faith or sin just starts very basic. But as you progress in it, you see that things progressively start to get worse in your life. And this is what happens when you begin to drift away from the things of God. When you begin to drift away from the promises of God, in your life, you begin to see things slowly start to fade away. And that is, this is what happens with sin. But sin is, has, has an approach to it where once you've started sliding, it's very hard to get you back, especially if you know the truth of what to do and what not to do. Point number two, sin will begin to creep its way into your life. And it has a way of doing that. James chapter one, turn with me quickly there to the book of James chapter one, we'll go to verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, so I want you to follow this progression that is given here in the book of James, where he says it, it, it creeps its way into your life in verse 15. He said, when desire has conceived, think about the word conceived, conception, giving birth, or it hasn't even birthed yet. It's just, it's just uh, formed. That word conception, it means formed. It's birthed, not, not birthed as in given birth to an actual baby yet, but that seed has now developed. So when desire has conceived, so now desire You've got this desire for something. It's it's kind of conceived something. It's it's reproduced of itself. Now it gives birth to sin. So it doesn't start with what seemingly thinks what you think sin is. This is where I think a lot of people get stuck in their life. Is it doesn't start with quote sin. And so many I've had so many conversations with family friends people in general 
that say the phrase, but it's not sin. Is it against the law to do it? Meaning the law of God. Is it against God's will for me to do this? It, or, you know, is, is it sin for me to do this thing? Well, here's the deal. Is it sin? I'm, I'm not sure that uh, it's that a bit, uh, uh, the fact that it's sin or not. I want you to understand that it's not the fact that it's sin. It's that there's a desire there that can conceive and birth sin. You need to write that down. That'll help you in your life. If there is a desire there, there is a potential for it to conceive, reproduce of itself, and birth sin in your life. See, we, we're made to be in a content state. So let's, let's keep reading here and finish this. On that thought, we're made to be in a content, thankful state. Not in a, a desirous, you know, anxious and, and, you know, grabbing for things in life. That's not who we're supposed to be. He says, then when desire has conceived, it gives, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. People think because it hasn't produced death yet, you know, I haven't really seen any destruction yet. I haven't seen any, really any death yet. Is it that big of a deal? Is it that bad of a thing? I want to ask I want you to think about that. Is it that bad of a thing? It hasn't produced death. Death is the end byproduct. Death is the last thing that can potentially ever harm you. It starts with a desire that conceives and births sin. It the desire does. So I want to I want to talk to you about this. Sin birthed with sin is birthed or reproduced within desires. Your desire, that's point number 3. Sin is birthed within desires. Your desire to have bent on having something or you raging after it good or bad can have a uh, have an effect on you that can produce sin in your life i want you to be cautious about this this is very important your your uh anxious desire or your like rage to have something good or bad i just have to have this particular particular thing Stop for a second and ask yourself this. Why do you need to have that? Why is it so important that you have that thing or this thing gets better or whatever the case is? You should get to a place with God where you have a relationship with God and your place with God is where you're content no matter what state that you're in. Remember in Philippians where Paul says that to the church there, he said, whether I'm abased or I'm wealthy or I'm in between, I have learned to be content in whatever state that I'm in. You can go back and read that Philippians chapter four, whatever state that I'm in, not not state like in America or across the country or across the world, whatever condition that I'm in, I have learned to be content in that state. I've learned to be okay in that place in my life, no matter where it is. What if I'm in a really bad place, Dylan? What if my health isn't good? What if my finances are in a really bad place? I I hear what you're saying. And let me answer that question. If that's the case and you are in a bad financial spot, your health isn't right, your mental state isn't good, 
what good does it do for you to be like super on the attack to get the thing that you need for it? When the Bible says that we're to have faith and confidence in God to help us through these particular things, your fleshly desire or this like super, I got to have whatever that particular thing is. I got to, here's one. It can be a great goal. I'm not just talking about evil sin. It doesn't say that evil, evil desires is what births sin. It says when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So the, the, the idea here is you're drawn away from your focus, from your attention of what faith should be and is, and it goes to the desire to have a particular thing. This is a problem. This is a, a big problem, especially for Christians. The lost world, they don't know anything else but to get and get what they want. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get what I want. Uh, this is kind of the attitude some Christians have is I'm just going to get whatever I want. I need to go after with the things that I want. The Bible says in James, your desire, once it's conceived, it will begin to birth sin from it. Because you should be content in whatever place that you're in. Number Point number four, I want you to, to write this down. Inordinate, inordinate affection. Write that phrase down. Inordinate affection. We get this out of 1 John chapter 2. I want to read this to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. It doesn't give a specific. It doesn't say, don't love the drinks of the world. It doesn't say, don't love the affairs of the world. It doesn't say, don't love the money of the world. He said, don't love the world and the things in the world. Don't have a desire for these things. That word love, now let me finish this verse and then I'll go back to that word love. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you don't get an option to have both. You had a lot of people. This may be you. You're half in and half out. You're not completely you're not completely persuaded and completely sold out to Jesus and to God. You're in, you believe, you love him, you want to serve him, but you're kind of in and you're kind of out. He said, if you have a desire or a love for this world and it goes back to this word desire that we read in James they actually, those two words tie together. If you have a desire for this world or the things of this world, he said the love of the Father is not in you. Now that word love there in the Greek actually means agapeo. Agapeo. It's not agape love, which is a pure uh, intention of caring for. Like that's what God has for you and for me. It's an agape pure love. That's the love that he gave when he gave his son to me and you. He loves us that much. He gave his son to me and you to die on a cross for us. That's what that love means. It's a pure love. This word love, when you have a love for the world, that's not the same L-O-V-E love that we see in other places of the New Testament when we see God's love shed abroad to us. That's not the same love. The love here that John is talking about in this book is the word agapeo, which means an inordinate affection. It's in a... It's a obsession 
There's another Greek word. I'm sorry. There's a Hebrew word that ties to this that goes back to um, like the, a lust of the eyes. You, you, you desire a particular thing. But notice it doesn't say what it is that you have this affection for or this desire to have. It doesn't say that it's for evil things. It doesn't say that it's for something that's bad. But this obsessive type attitude, this obsessive type mindset that I got to have it, whatever it is, that this thing will help me, this particular thing. Uh, I'm believing God, but I got to have this thing. That's an obsession. And that will, in, 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 without a shadow of a doubt, it will eventually lead to sin because it is a fleshly appetite. It is an appetite that you have to uh, of a desire, uh, you know, you're desirous of a particular thing that without it, you can't be content. You should be content in whatever state that you are. Let's say that you're in a, you're completely broke. You're in debt. You've lost your way. You've lost your job. You're just in a bad place in life. If you can't find contentness there, you won't have contentness, you know, I don't know if that's the right word, contentness, but you won't have content when you have a lot of money if you can't find content when you're completely broken. I know it's tough. I've been there. I know it's tough to not have money, to not be in a financial place that you want to be in, but that doesn't mean you can't be content. Why was it good enough when you received Jesus? That was everything you needed, but now you have a desire to have life. I'm not saying you can't have money. I'm not saying you can't be healthy. I'm not saying you can't have your life in the place that you want it to be. But when you have this obsession, and I use that word lightly because that word obsession, people think like you're like crazy going around. No, obsession just means you think about it constantly. It's on your mind. You you desire it. You really you really got to have it. It's like you you really want it. You're obsessed with it. You're addicted to the world. You're addicted to the things of the world. And this is a problem because that eventually, as we just read in James 1, will conceive and and eventually that conception of that desire will birth something in sin. Because too much of the world means you have too little of God. Too much of, of, of the world, you can't have both. You can't have enough of the world and then still have enough of God. You've got to pick between the two. And unfortunately, without having a dedicated relationship to God, you, you, you know, inadvertently you choose the world. And so God is saying to us, the desires that we have should be placed specifically within the things of God. Our desires, our obsession, our content, us being content should be placed within the hands of God, not within the things of the world. The things of the world, if they bring content, the Bible says they're perishing. They're they're fleeting. They're temporary. They're going to fade away. You're not going to have them forever. So your contentment can't be in those things. Your contentment can't be your ability to be happy, your ability to be at peace, your ability to have joy can't be within things in life that are temporary and will eventually pass away. Uh, remember this point number five, you have a new DNA second, second, second Corinthians five and 17 
And you can write these chapters, these verses down, or you can sign up for my email at dylanmaverick.com. You can subscribe to the email and you'll get all of the notes that I'm sharing with you. So you can go back and study some of the scriptures that I don't, uh, I don't read in the, in the broadcast, but second Corinthians chapter five and 17, Romans six, three, and four, Isaiah 43 and 18. It tells us all those scriptures say that you're a new person. You've been made a new person and we're to forget the things that are, are behind us. You have a, what does that mean though? You have a new DNA. You're a new creature. That word DNA, I didn't know what it meant. The, the letters, the abbreviation of them were, but it's deoxy, deoxybinucleic acid. Deoxyribonucleic acid is what DNA stands for. That's your makeup of your body. But I, when I was, when I wrote that down last night, you have new DNA I wrote next to it, deliberately new agenda. You have a deliberately new agenda now in your life. When you accept the, the work of Christ, not only is it a free gift that you receive, but it comes with obligation. So there's a, there's a free gift you receive of salvation, but now you are obligated. You have obligation with your new DNA that you receive through that work that, you, that you've received from Jesus. Not only... Does your deoxyribonucleic acid change? Not only does your actual DNA change, the Bible tells us that. You become a new creature. That's the same thing that we talked about in Genesis. That's the same type of uh, phraseology that God uses in the book of Genesis that Moses writes what happened with God and how he created the earth. That's the same language that our actual DNA changes. You become a new creature. But now your agenda should change. So your DNA changes. You have a deliberately new agenda now for your life. It's not the same one that you used to have. Your new nature, number six, point number six, your new nature has been grafted into the things of God. Uh, I learned this this week through conversations I was having with people. My, my pastors are, um, they're like farmers, they're, they're um, they own ran- they own a big piece of property and they've got chickens and animals and things like that on it. And they've planted trees and f- have fruit trees and things like that. And they were just discussing with somebody else in our church about some of the plants that they've planted. And I was just, I was just standing by listening and, uh, pastor Kim, my, my pastor, she said, there is a grafting procedure. You've heard me talk about this on this show before. There is a grafting that takes place. When you, when you slice an existing plant and you, you, you transfer a new plant's branch into that existing tree. And she said it creates a hybrid fruit. And they were talking about these things. But she said something I didn't know about in, in the small research that I did about grafting plants. That when a plant is grafted into another plant, a different plant, the new plant takes on the DNA of the old plant. So that DNA changes. It completely becomes a brand new plant. It doesn't take any of the old genes with it, but that new offspring becomes a new, brand new DNA. It's something completely new. And that's what you've become. You're not this old nature anymore. You don't have the, now you may feel it flare up. Remember what what it said in James. You may feel these things come up, Each one is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own desires. But then when that desire conceives, it births sin. So you, you may be enticed and you may have desire of these things, 
but you have a new nature now. You have a new DNA now. You have a new agenda. God has placed on you deliberately a new agenda for your life, a new DNA. So you should go a different direction regardless of what you feel because the DNA changing has to change the outward. It's changed the spirit, but now has to change the outward as well. So you literally have to recreate your thoughts, recreate your attitudes, recreate your words, recreate your ideas, recreate your plans, recreate your goals, recreate your ambitions, recreate your desires. You begin to become a new recreated creature and things change for you. Maybe you've got to dress differently. Maybe you need to start talking differently. Maybe you need to start dressing in a different way than you used to dress. Well, that's a little, that seems religious, Dylan. It's not religious when you're basing it on what's happened inside. I'm not saying change for the sake of changing. I'm saying changing if you're in a nature one particular way. And now you've got to change who you are to, be, to match the DNA of who you've become. That's so be it. Change it. And I, what, I'm just in context saying, you know, if you dressed, pardon the vernacular, but if you dressed like a, you know, if you dressed inappropriately, let's just say it that way, and you, you, you that's not your nature anymore. You know, there's there's a preacher on 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 social media. He he's got tattoos all over him. I'm talking like you can't see his skin. He's got tattoos completely all over him. He's got gauges all through his ears, gauges in his face, in his nose. He wears a big clown hat. He puts makeup on on, on top of his tattoos. He dresses like, and I'm not exaggerating this. This is not an exaggeration or a stretch of, of the imagination whatsoever, but he dresses like a clown. He puts a clown hat on, has clown outfits on, and he looks like, you know, a carnival person, but he got saved, radically saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, which is a wonderful thing. But his whole message now is how he doesn't have to change how he looks to be a changed person. I couldn't disagree more. It's You don't have to defend your old state once you've become a new creature. You've become brand new. What do you have to defend who you were before? You don't have to bring that into light. Well, Dylan, it could minister to a lot of people. That's not your job. Your job is to become a new creature and then bring the ministry of reconciliation to people that Jesus provides. Not that you provide by your past life. I mean, bro, grow up. So this is the nature that you take on as a Christian is the new creature that God has created you to be. You're a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ. Act accordingly. Hope this helped you this morning. This was six points at 6 a.m. If you haven't already, be sure to like the post here on YouTube. Share the post. Be sure to let someone else know about it. You can share my post on Facebook or, you know, I share the broadcast or you can click the share button and let someone know about it. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to my email. I don't spam you. I don't send your email out to anybody and I don't blow you up. I send one email with my a uh, list of everything that's uh, that we went through our six points at 6 a.m. And then I send a weekly recap at the end of the week of all the episodes we went to. It'll really be a blessing for you and it'll help you get into a vein of studying the right way so you can have some direction when you study. Because I know a lot of people struggle with that. Is wh where do I start? What do I read? This will be a great place for you to start with those notes that I have for you. So be blessed today. Love you so much. I'll talk to you on the next episode. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.